I'm Joan Hogan, welcoming you to the Prairie Doc Radio Program. Dr. Rick Holm, our medical expert, is in the studio, ready to answer your questions. Dr. Holm's specialty is internal medicine. He's worked with the Avira Medical Group Brookings and has served as a clinical professor at the University of South Dakota Stanford School of Medicine. Good morning, Rick. Good, good morning, Joan. Good Hogan. to have you here. And nice, added nice to, be here. to a really nice morning is Dr. Deborah Johnston. Thanks Hello. so much for joining us, Dr. Johnston. Oh, it's just a joy to be here. Well, thank you. And for those of you who are, who are not in the know, Dr. Johnston works at the Avira Medical Group Brookings, and she is a family, family medicine. Family medicine. Why the words wouldn't come? I wanted to say internal, <laughs> but I thought, no, no, family medicine. Well, I, I do some of that, well, not as much as Rick did, but, right. you know. <laughs> yeah. Family medicine, you're doing it all. We do. Rick did it degree. all, he just avoided the babies, That's, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you don't want to avoid people. the babies, do you? No, oh. I enjoy the babies. Oh, yeah, I, I know you do. I uh, did babies reluctantly. You know, in the in the ER in the middle of the night, you know, I'd go get up and drive in, and when you were on call, you don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know that you ever had to do ER call. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, <sighs> absolutely. That was, that was a challenge. That was a challenge. And in your training, you know, you had it. Yep. So, right. Yep. Well, and for the first few years, uh, they added the nighttime um, coverage in the ER on the weekends about the time I started officially. Yeah. So, so you didn't we did have to uh, do weekends. Well, no, no. We it was. Um, remember, they it was like ten at night to seven in the morning on weekdays, with the idea that it would make it easier for the rest of us to stay in the clinic the next day. Yeah. If we weren't up all night in the ER. Oh. So. Yeah. Yes, and gradually it's uh, expanded and expanded, and now there's 24-7 dedicated ER coverage. Uh-huh. And it doesn't have to be you? And it doesn't have to be me. You get to sleep in? I or you play on your computer. I know this woman. <laughs> she Nobody does more on a computer than Deb. She oh, does man. pictures. She What do you do on that? You do a I lot. I do all kinds of stuff I think it's it. your relaxation. It is You get away relaxation. from medicine. Nah. Everybody yep. needs something. That's everybody, how you relax. Everybody needs a hobby. Everybody yes. needs something outside of their normal day. Yes, they do. Yes. yes. Good. And Dr. Holm, no sailing today. No. <laughs> At <laughs> no the warmest, it'll be 44. Oh. Not a good day for sailing, no. but you'll have other hobbies. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, <laughs> this tomorrow night, Dr. Holmes' television program will cover an interesting topic, radiology. Actually, my niece, who is an OBGYN physician, married a doctor who was a radiology specialist. She had a hard time dealing with him the first year. Can you imagine the hours that OBGYN put in? And he was, he, he was 9 to 5. <laughs> he was, and he was an intern or a resident doing 9 to 5. It was ridiculous. But really, you tell us about radiology. They might have had light hours when they were training, but they are essential today. Well, they've changed from just a, uh, what is the word, evaluation person, uh, one who who uh, who uh, uh, does the evaluation to one who does intervention yes. uh, and I, I knew that I knew that uh, interpretive versus in interventional and I knew there was a change when I was I had been doing liver biopsies since I had been trained to do liver biopsies in my residency <coughs> people would come in and their bilirubin was elevated and I'd biopsy their liver and they would you know there's a risk to that of course mm-hmm. but you can g- estimate where the liver is it's not that hard really 
and then you would um, uh, you would take a core biopsy and you would send that to the pathologist. And all this was surgical, correct? Well, it was just across the skin and yeah. probably in the ER, I'm guessing, is where you did it. Well, and the last one I remember, he passed out after I biopsied his liver. Uh, and he was in a, a bed in the hospital, and I was kind of glad he was in the bed in the hospital. <laughs> and it was just it was just a faint. He fainted because okay. of it all. And it came back positive for cancer, by the way. It was... Um, mm. And so the long and the short of it is, you know, I would go to the book and I'd reread how to do the liver biopsy every time I did, you know, and I was only, and I was doing less and less liver biopsies because that was the trend. And finally, one time I was thinking maybe I'm being too aggressive on this and that I needed to hand that to the gastroenterologist who's, who are the liver specialists. So I called Jack Barker, who is a gastroenterologist at the time, the only one in the state. And I said, Jack, um, I just kind of want to go over liver biopsying, and actually what I think I might want to do is have you do it. I mean, what do you think? He says, Rick, I stopped doing that about a year ago. I have the interventional <laughs> radiologist do it. And I thought, oh, crap. If the gastroenterologist isn't doing it, Why maybe am the I? general internist <laughs> shouldn't be doing it. Good point. So, we, um, so I, I sent him to the interventional radiologist. Now, what in the world is an interventional radiologist? I mean, that they they can do biopsies, they can do uh, vascular work, they can do, you know, they they're surgeons, really. They do a lot of surgical type things, kind yeah. of minimally invasive surgery that's uh, under the direction of some kind of imaging. Um, they do a lot of breast biopsies. I think mm -hmm. that's probably in my practice where I see the most of them. Um, they'll do stenting. They do percutaneous drains. They do um, all kinds of those things, which are really useful, and it's a lot safer for the patient to be able to do it under direct visualization. Well, you see where you're going instead of... Blind, blind shot at it. Blindly doing it. Well, this is where it's supposed to be because... It, People's anatomies can be subtly different. You can have things that are just in a little s different place, and it's awfully nice to be able to to see it. I was doing pericardiosynthesis. Yeah, pericardiosynthesis. That's the word. Sticking, sticking a needle in around the heart and the yeah. sac around the, the heart sac and draining around fluid around it yeah, and, with, uh, without imaging. Without oh. imaging. Oh, Rick, I'm getting well, a little. I'm getting a little uh, diaphoretic just thinking yeah. about that. You connect. The, <laughs> you connect the EKG to your needle, and if you start getting an EKG, you go, "Okay, I'm touching the heart," and you just be very gentle about it. And um, but I stopped doing those too. You know, at a certain point. Wait, wait. Oh, good. Deb is really <laughs> glad you stopped there. Don't faint, Deb. She is about ready to pass out. Well, you know, medicine has advanced over the years. No medicine two ways. Has I mean, we ta we're taught to do those things. We did. Absolutely. We did. We were taught to do lip, uh, kidney biopsies. We were taught how to do, uh, you know, pleurocentesis. And, and aren't you glad you're not doing them anymore? Draining of the <laughs> fluid around the lung. And I did that up until the very end. I, I had developed a knowledge about how to do ultrasound yep. by a hand the tool that they have within the ER to, to use. My. Uh, so, but well, 
we're glad for the advancements because all of us listening are feeling a lot better knowing that there have been advances. <laughs> there have been advancements. Yeah. We, uh, we, we are due to take a break now, and we thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio. Some of you are listening from the Brookings area on your AM radio, and others are listening right now from anywhere in the world via KBRK Internet live stream. Either way, we invite your questions. If you're not in the area, be sure to add 605 to your telephone number, 605-692-1430. We'll return following this informative message from the Avira Medical Group. The Avira Medical Group Brookings wants you to know the benefits of breastfeeding. Did you know that breast milk has ideal nutrients for babies, contains important antibodies to fight viruses and bacteria, may reduce disease risk, promotes a healthy weight, and has positive effects on long-term brain development. Talk with your provider about the benefits of breastfeeding. Welcome back to Prairie to Doc Radio. Happy to have you listening. Joan Hogan here. With me in the studio are two fine physicians, Dr. Rick Holm, who was, tries to be here every week, and Dr. Deb Johnston. <laughs> and we're so happy she's joined us. She comes in frequently, and it's just Once fun to have her. Once a month when she can. Once a month when I can. And we appreciate you coming. Uh, we had asked just before the break for questions, and we did have a gentleman call in with a question. He's from Brookings, and he has a question about... Uh, taking daily aspirin. Could you briefly discuss the pluses <laughs> and minuses of using aspirin on a regular basis? Well, now I'm wondering if this gentleman is a regular caller because I'm not sure that Dr. Holm and I do anything briefly. Oh! <laughs> there is no brief answer to this. Uh, <laughs> pluses and minuses uh, of using aspirin. Let's hear your brief answer, Deb, and then I'll give my... So I think that, um, like anything, there is a balance with aspirin aspirin can be a really remarkable medication. It can reduce stroke risk. It can reduce heart attack risk. But it does have some downsides, um, particularly uh, bleeding in the gastrointestinal tract, um, easier bleeding for any other circumstances, dental work or cuts and scrapes or easy bruising. And for some people, of course, they have allergy issues or they're prone to asthma and the, the aspirin can aggravate that. Um, and too much of a good thing is never a good thing, and that certainly goes for asthma or for aspirin. Um, and I particularly worry about kidney injury with high doses of, of aspirin and aspirin-like medications such as ibuprofen or Aleve. Um, you know, it used to be a fairly universal recommendation, particularly for older gentlemen, about using aspirin. Um, women were always a little less clear that there was a benefit except probably in diabetics or in people who had had established cardiovascular disease such as poor circulation or heart attacks or strokes and I think the uh, as with many things in medicine we kind of drift back and forth and I think the current um, balance is that maybe not everybody needs to be on aspirin. You know, they, if you look at the broad scope of averages and percentages and, you know, if it's beneficial or not, the, the breakdown is that people bleed and have major problems into their brain, for example, as m many as who are benefited by it until maybe age 50. 
you know, so early, unless there's a lot of heart disease in your family or in mm -hmm. vascular disease, probably a daily aspirin is not apropos in that group until you get to be 50. And then, of course... Particularly if you're male at 50. Yeah, and, uh, you know, as we get older, we acquire clotting uh, disorders. And so that's a good idea to consider the reason for an aspirin. The <laughs> one other thing to say, I mean, you said it perfect, Deb. I mean, all those points. But the one other thing to say is that we know uh, that aspirin prevents polyps and that oh, a yes. full aspirin, you know, 325 milligrams, is not as effective in polyp preventing as a 81 milligram baby aspirin. And so there's another reason. So as I was going through my practice, you know, 50 years of age or older, or particularly after I've just removed a polyp, uh, you know, I'm encouraging them to have the aspirin for the polyp prevention and cancer of the colon prevention, not just the idea of preventing a stroke or a heart attack. Yeah. I might have misunderstood you and maybe someone else listening did. Did you say that uh, to prevent polyps, the low dose aspirin is better than the full dose? Correct. It seems odd. I'll take your word for it, but yeah. it doesn't seem strange. And, and you know, <laughs> the guy who, um, Plum and Posner, was it Posner or Plum? I think it was Posner before he passed away, said to everybody in a letter to the New England Journal of Venison, we know the right dose of aspirin is somewhere under, is under 325. Could be 325, but it's likely less. It's certainly not more. And it's a, a paradox because the aspirin apparently thickens and thins the blood both. And you get it, the one is dose dependent. Higher doses, thickens. More. Oh. Lower dose, the thinning, which has been uh, uh, there all along, is unopposed. Uh, there's no thickening opposing it. That's the theory. I don't know if there's any truth to that. I, I also was at an internal medicine meeting this last month, and uh, the point they were making at that meeting was that Plavix plus aspirin, which I always poo-pooed and mm -hmm. so on and so forth, uh, right now is much more powerfully blood-thinning and that we've got to be very careful when we put them together because it thins the blood powerfully. May too much, possibly. Yeah. For some, it might be too much. Any take yeah. now, Deb, respond. Um, well, my one thought as you were talking is that aspirin has a very long half-life. Four, four days or something like that? Or even longer, I think, for in terms of the it irreversibly binds to the platelets. So when the platelet has been affected by aspirin, it's not recovering. Right. Um, so the bottom line is if what you have is the 325 and you're thinking, perhaps I should be taking less, you can take it every other day or three times a week yep. and get a, get get a good benefit result. with that too. Yeah. So. Well, we'll go back to this gentleman's question. He's in his 70s. He's probably taking a low dose. You both would recommend he continue with the low dose. Well, I would recommend that he have that conversation with his doctor. Probably that's the best thing, but there are certainly individual circumstances that might influence that recommendation. Exactly. Okay. Thank you so much. We're going to take our second break. We uh, look forward to any questions you might have, and we'll be back right after these words. Rabies is a virus that infects wildlife, especially bats, raccoons, skunks, and foxes in the U.S. It can spread to people and pets when they are bitten or scratched, causing fever, agitation, and death. 
Rabies is 100% preventable with post-exposure prophylaxis that includes rabies vaccine and medications to fight infection as long as people get the prophylactic medication before the symptom starts. Understanding the risk of rabies and knowing what to do after contact with wildlife can save lives. If you have contact with a wild animal, talk with your primary care provider immediately so that post-prophylactic medication can be started as needed. This is brought to you by the Vera Medical Group Brookings, 697-9500. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. Happy to have you listening today. We have both Dr. Holm and Dr. Deb Johnston with us today. And we good proved, discussion. Yes. We proved my point that Dr. Holm and I don't do anything briefly, didn't we? No, it not was a ten-minute answer. An answer. <laughs> but that's okay. Just a one one sentence answer, Deb. Oh, the two of us went on. And on, and on. Well, that one short short answer brought on another question. Good. A woman called, and she's in her eighties. She's taking one 200 milligram ibuprofen one time a day for arthritis. Is that enough to cause damage to her liver or kidneys? Keep in mind, she's 85. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, ibuprofen is, is such a two-edged sword. I love ibuprofen. I think it is very effective. I take it myself. but Periodically. Like, periodically. But like anything else it's a matter of of risks and benefits i would be a little more worried about her stomach at 200 milligram a day than i would i don't worry too much about liver issues with normal doses of ibuprofen but i do worry about kidney issues and some of that is going to depend on what her baseline Uh, kidney function is and how closely it's being monitored. Um, When I have patients that are taking these medications on a regular basis, some of them get a little um, miffed with me because I make them come in. I can't obviously force them to come in if they're taking over the counters, but when they're taking prescription NSAIDs, I make them come in at least twice a year and I check their kidney function. Mm -hmm. The Um, NSAIDs are Advil and Aleve and and aspirin-like medicines. Medicines, and a lot of our prescription medications. And they are very good pain medicines, but they do have their downsides. Right, and, and because I, let me, I have to give you this history. Somewhere in the late 80s, they started coming out with a million versions of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory mm-hmm. agents, NSAIDs. And... Uh, we didn't know which ones were the right ones. We just had sample after sample, and we just handed them out. I remember going to a, a, a meal lecture conference given by a dear friend who is a rheumatologist from Sioux Falls. So he was credible, and the meal was really nice in Watertown, <laughs> and Mama Mia's or whatever, whatever that was. But whatever. He did well. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, well, we don't know the answer to this, but the studies are, in, are, are happening right now. We think that we can prevent degeneration of I'm, I'm saying this is what he said I'm not saying this is the truth this wasn't the truth he said we think we can prevent degeneration of the joint by turning off the inflammatory response but to get the inflammatory response turned off you've got to take 800 milligrams of ibuprofen four times a day oh, what? and then and it was oh and I'm you know my whole populace that my whole practice was these 70 80 uh, 90 year old uh, people, you know, tiny little people and so on and so forth. I pushed the non to try to, pr- pr- you know, save their joints. 
and they bled. Oh, <laughs> and, they bled and, and they had pain and uh, you know and they ended up in the hospital with GI with bleeds and then their bleeds. kidneys failed. And oh, oh, this was man. not a good I idea. Mean, I am following the result. So you know what? You know how much <laughs> ibuprofen and all of the other stuff I prescribed up at the end of my practice? Very, very little. little. <laughs> Doesn't surprise I became very me skeptical. Least. That was one yeah. of the skeptical points of my uh, pharmaceutical industry exposure. I, I think one of the, uh, the point that that al- illustrates so nicely is that we have to question everything and a lot of those early results don't get borne out in practice. And this is why the studies are so important and this is why um, it's important to kind of hang back and not be the first one to do something just because we can or just because it looks promising um yeah (laughs) you know cardi i I took a full week cardiology course at harvard it was all cardiology and um and it was intense you know they don't do anything easy it was at seven in the morning till 5 30 at night you were going to get your money's worth, huh? That's right, boy. I did. <laughs> and I remember one of the and some of the best lectures I remember ever being exposed to. And one old pharmacist, or I mean, uh, no, cardiologist, said, "You know, you shouldn't be the first one to use the new drug, or the last one to use the new drug to, new, to yep. use the new drug. You should be wa- very watchful. Wa- see how it works." See how people tolerate it. You know, if you know, if you feel like there's something happening that's really good, okay. But you've got to give it a little experience first. So I'm in that end. Uh, how do we get started on that that point? We will. How we, do we get there, Deb? We were talking about <laughs> how did we this get there? this uh, lady who is um, would have been right at home in Dr. Holmes' practice, taking um, two hundred milligrams, taking two hundred milligrams of ibuprofen <laughs> once a day. And the bottom line is, from my perspective, that is not something that I would be alarmed by with my patients. But there are individual circumstances that might affect that answer, and she should be sure to ask her doctor if her kidneys are okay, if there's any reason she shouldn't take that ibuprofen. And if Tylenol, if she can get by with one or two Tylenol a day, and that does as well for her as the ibuprofen, for most people that is a safer medication. There is withdrawal headaches in some cases with Tylenol. Well, and with ibuprofen and too. And with ibuprofen. Yes. Uh, my my sense for ibuprofen, you know, the the right dose of of Tylenol for example is no more than 3 or 4 grams in a day. In a day. 3 yeah. or 4,000 milligrams. I I will tell people that it generally healthy people that for a short term, once in a while, use four grams is okay. But if it's something you're doing on an everyday, regular basis, keep it to three grams. And one gram is two extra strength Tylenol. So it would be two extra strength Tylenol four times a day periodically, but three is the usual max. I like to prescribe uh, the 325 milligrams, and the only dose I take is really two of the 325s, and I don't take them, okay, now is my scheduled time. I use pain medicines as an as needed, try to put it off 
basis. And I think that works well for Many the people. average person. For other people, not everybody. Uh, for other people, we need to kind of stay on top and not get behind. Yeah. If you, yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. We're going to take our final break. We'll be back. August is National Immunization Awareness Month. Here are just a few ideas of how you can promote immunizations. Talk with your friends and family members about how vaccines aren't just for kids. Shots can protect people of all ages from serious diseases. Encourage people in your community to get the flu vaccine every year. Invite a doctor or nurse to speak to parents about why it's important for kids to get vaccinated. If you have questions about immunizations, talk with your provider at the Avera Medical Group Brookings, 697-9500. Hi, Joan Hogan here. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. In the studio with me today is Dr. Rick Holm and Dr. Deb Johnston, and both of them have had a lively discussion on how they <laughs> diagnose and how they uh the Another short for discussion. Them. Short yeah. discussion. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, I'd love to go back to the topic for tomorrow night because Dr. Holmes' essay that was in the paper this week talked about imaging with a little help from my friends. In, in other words, their radiology and all of these different images have come about just since the 1970s or so. I got a real kick out of your et- essay because you were talking about CT scans. When they began there weren't many people that wanted to fund the research for the fellow that was working on it. But it just happened in England, the Electric and Music Industries, EMI, had financed the Beatles. And they started making a whole lot of money on the Beatles records. Yeah, whole and lot they of money. A whole lot of money. Whole lot and of money. that's the reason we have imaging as soon as we had it, because they were willing to finance Godfrey Holmesfield, whatever the man's name was, who was doing this research and came up with the first CT scans. I thought that was fascinating. Uh, me too. You know, the, Thank the God Be- for the Beatles. We all love <laughs> their <laughs> music. The and now they help bring about scanning and they radiology. They did the Emmy scan. And, of course, we had the first Emmy scan in the region, you know, at Emory. And I was doing a, a rotation on neurology. My first rotation, my first month as an intern. I was the bottom of the bottom uh, of the barrel. Barrel once <laughs> again, you know, you, the, going through med school and residency, there's a drop to the bottom of the <laughs> line, drop, get higher, 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 and then now your next step is the bottom of the line, and <laughs> so and um, so and then you come out and practice and you start on, on the, the bottom. bottom. <laughs> so, uh, but <laughs> but we had an Emmy scan, and the the neurologist that I was working with. God bless his soul. He was a wonderful man. And I don't know, Linton Bishop. I don't know how I would pull that name out. Linton Bishop said uh, to me, Rick, you know, I order like four tests. That's all I do. I see the patient, and then my job is to decide which of these four tests to order or not. And I said, nah, you've got, you know, you have more responsibility than that. Nope. That's it. (laughs) Uh, And so... um, Anyway, he Surprised was Surprised he didn't become a radiologist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was so good. He was such a bedside manner neurologist. But, you know, we the, he says, is this going to change? This is going to change neurology radically. Oh, absolutely. And, and because you needed the neurologist to see, to tell the, clinic, the clinician where the lesion was in the brain. Where is that lesion? How big is it? And what is it likely caused from? 
and you know before they open up the brain surgically and go in mm -hmm. and biopsy it or excise it and uh, you can you do an M ME scan EMI scan and you can see what it looks like and then you can even put a needle exactly where you need to do it to decide what kind of tumor it is and how to treat it it's fantastic it's with an interventional really. radiologist, yeah. you have that help. Now, tomorrow night, will you have a radiologist with you? Uh, I have I have two interventional radiologists with me, Dr. Patel and Dr. Plord, both of whom have biopsied my liver and put drain tubes in abscesses within the liver, and maybe doing that again <laughs> soon. I don't know, but because um, I've been struggling with a little something, but the major thing that point out is these guys are really good and uh, you know I called uh, Plord called me back because he was looking at the x-ray that had been done two weeks ago and or a week ago and then he compared it with the one that he had and another one that Sanford had and he, he called me and he said well we can watch him wait but he was the champion you know you need a champion to to uh, to hunt the uh, the right answer for you Absolutely. Well, we're, we're excited for any of you uh, who are regulars with Dr. Holmes' program on Thursday night on South Dakota Public Television, or for those of you who have not watched it, I think tomorrow night will be a very interesting program. You know, we just have a couple of minutes left, and I think that <gasps> Deb has something I really wanna, important. Oh. I want to talk about flu shots oh, because do I you? love giving flu actually I love making my nurse give shots and uh. this is a wonderful time of year because she can give a lot of flu shots and I know there's a lot of people out there oh I don't uh. need my flu shot you know everybody could benefit from a flu shot but there's a lot of people out in the community and maybe even in your own home that could benefit from you getting your flu shot. Babies who can't be immunized, people whose immune systems don't work all that well, people who have chronic diseases that make them more vulnerable to the flu, get your flu shot for them, even if you don't want it for you. Or for me. Or for my, Rick. My Absolutely. immune system is for crap, you know, so... <laughs> Absolutely, I, I, and and the flu shot is less effective than most of our immunizations. So that means that just because Dr. Holm gets his shot, I did he get my is, shot. He is not as protected as we would like. So I need to get my shot, so I don't give it to him. This yep. all sounds great. Everybody should get their flu shot. Well, I think we've run out of time. It's been so much fun having both of these physicians with us today, and we hope all of you've enjoyed it as much as I have. And we'll listen again for Prairie Doc, brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings. Please follow Prairie Doc on Facebook and YouTube for free and easy access to the entire Prairie Doc library. Visit us at www.prairiedoc.org. Dr. Holm, that's all for today. Thank you, Joan. Thank you, Deb. Thank you, Bob. And stay healthy out there, people.